Hi, everybody. Today, we're going to be talking about something that a lot of us try to avoid, and that is feelings. <laughs> a lot of people in this world are really oriented toward thoughtfulness, thought, trying to think our way through things. But one of the areas that we don't give enough credit to as, as far as its operating potential is that of our feelings. And I'm not saying this in any light way. We're with uh, Jen Smith today. She's a shaman. She's been a psychotherapist and scientist. She understands her way around this world. And she deals with feelings as the basis for the creation of our experience in life and our reality. And in one of her meditations, a deep meditation connecting with guidance, she was told that every person has the capacity to change the world in and of themselves. Now, not everybody's going to stand up to that task, but the point is the power is there for us to do it in our feelings. So without further ado, let's go to Jen. And Jen is going to talk to us about quite a number of interesting things, right down to outside interference with our feelings, down to even when someone wishes us uh, something uh, dark or unwell and how we deal with that, and mostly about our responsibility to engage with our own feelings. So, Jan, thank you for being here today. Uh, feelings is a difficult one for most people because so much of it is driven by the unconscious or subconscious mind. So, first of all, in the world of metaphysics, we've been told now for decades and decades, the last hundred years, it's that our it's our thoughts that create our reality. You're saying it's our feelings that create reality. This is a big distinction. Let's start out there. Sure. And as you mentioned, I had that meditation where the spirits said to me that every person born has the capacity to change the world single-handedly. And I sat with that. And like, what does that mean? And just really pulled it in. And, and it was a process. It's, it didn't happen all, all of it once. But I realized that not every person born would ever want to go out and be an, a, an, an activist or do things that would equate to what we would call changing the world. And so what could they mean then with that statement and I realized through a series of a lot of different events that what they were speaking of is that everybody feels and the feelings are what actually creates reality. And then along with that, uh, and I love the way that the spirits do this because they do it often with me, they'll give me something and then they'll qualify it with something that I pick up and read or something that I you know, happens in my everyday life. And so that particular week, I was watching a YouTube video, and it had to do with DNA tests and emotional responses and feelings. And they took a vial of someone's DNA, probably spit or something like that, and they had it in a in an adjacent room. And then they had their their subject in the room next to it, and they were both hooked up to instruments that were going to measure emotional responses. And they showed the person um, videos that, uh, that, would e that would invoke a bunch of emotion, various types of emotion. And sure enough, the instruments were measuring this emotional response off the person and off the DNA vial in the other room, and they were identical, identical responses. 
So then they took the DNA and they moved it 350 miles away, thinking, well, maybe it was just the proximity of it. And they did the same experiment, and they also used an atomic clock that they had hooked up to measure how long it took for the response to be measured in the DNA. Well, it turned out that the responses, again, were identical and instantaneous. Now, this blew, blew their, their hats off <laughs> because what it was saying was is that the um, the universe or the, that divine matrix that is the space between the space is actually responding to an emotional um, broadcast. And that that's what, that's what makes up the cosmos. That's what makes up that space between the space is this an emotional broadcast, which is from humans coming off from our feelings. And so I was really excited about that. And realize that so many people get frustrated with trying to manifest things or change their life because they say, I'm saying my affirmations, I'm doing the things, I'm reading the stuff, but the feeling that's coming off of them is aggravation, anger, disappointment, frustration. That's what they're, that's what they're actually broadcasting. And so true. Yeah. And so what do they draw to them then? Things that will qualify that. And yeah, I, can I just, I'm just going to sure. jump right in and yeah. just kind of share how I see that and experience it because I use that. And that is, yes, you hear uh, the, the various teachers suggest that we have to have clarity in our thought and what it is we wish to express. We have to kind of hone in on that. You have to apply a little will to it. But the, the secret sauce is that incredible fluidity and density of emotions behind it, mm-hmm. feelings behind it. And I have found that when I've created anything in my lifetime, because I tend to be, I live very much in the moment, um, more so by far than most people for good and for bad. It's not always a good thing being in the now all the time. <laughs> Pretty much am. The, the good of it is that if I feel um, there's something I wish to manifest, um, career-wise or whatever, uh, I do spend time basking in the feeling of yep. that vision. Yes. I have a vision. Well, just like Gaia, my, my, being on Gaia. Sure. Um, I had done a little thing before that. I shot a little show, made some mugs up that said Open Minds months before Gaia ever called me. And uh, ultimately, they, they did give me a call. And what happened in the interim is I thought, why did I shoot that pilot? Why did I make up these stupid mugs with the name Open Minds on it? This isn't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And, but in the interim, I kept having this feeling And I kept seeing myself sitting on a little stage set with the crew around, the lighting guy and, you know, audio and everybody. And I kept feeling the feeling of being in a very enjoyable environment where I was joking around with the guys behind the scene before we went on with our interviews. Don't know where this is. Don't know where it's going to express itself or, or if it is. But when I have done this in the past, it's the feelings that have propelled it. And sure enough, a phone call happens or something happens to move into that reality. But I agree 100%. It wouldn't happen if I didn't feel that pleasure and joy at doing it. Just seeing myself on a set is not really worth much. Yes. You, you nailed it. You nailed it. That's exactly mm-hmm. how it works. I have, I have a little story I can tell how I learned that lesson. Please. Would you like me to share it? Yes. Okay. 
So every year we uh, put on what we call a practicum, a telepathic communication practicum, where I'm teaching people how to how to do telepathy. And it's done outside for a week in nature. And it's done in Tillamook, Oregon, which is beautiful. It's just kind of a, a, a fairy garden out there. And it's, there's usually a lot of people. In fact, I'm getting ready to go in just a couple of weeks. We do it in July. And so I arrive, I usually arrive the day before everybody else. So I can sort of go out and say hello to the land and get my bearings with what's going on there. And when I arrived, there was a clear cut going on right across the river. So it was echoing. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, my God, this is this is the worst thing that could ever happen. I have 60 to 100 what I call tree huggers coming, <laughs> you know, that are, are very attuned to the forest in Oregon. And there's a clear cut going on. How in the world are we going to be able to just connect with nature in this way? And so I sat down to pray and I said to the spirits, I said, you've got to help me. You've got to help me do this. What, what, what should I do? Should I go over there and tell them to stop? (laughs) (laughs) And they said, no, you know exactly how to do this. Figure it out. And I was like, whoa, okay. What do I know how to do? What do I know how to do? And so what I did was I put on a a CD, actually one of mine, it's called Dream a New Dream. And I put out my intention that said, I want this clear cutting to stop. And I want to have just the sounds of nature for the experience and help me with this. And so I went into this meditation, this guided meditation, and it was to conjure up feelings, okay, feelings of, What do I, how do I actually want this to go? And what do I actually feel about this experience? And I started thinking and feeling how much I love wood, how much I love wood, tree products, you know, the things that they're cutting down. I love wood floors in my house. I love my decks. I love paper products. And I was just feeling how much I appreciate wood and the joy that I get out of that process of using these products. And then I started feeling the joy and the, the good feeling that the men had in bringing a paycheck home and putting food on the table and clothes on their kids and being a, a productive person for them. So by the time I came out of this, like I was just like, you know just feeling so good and then I was just journeying and connecting to the horse through the sounds of the of the chainsaws and the people started arriving the next day and I said okay we've got this clear cutting going on but I want here's my good message and I want you to spread this around camp I want you to just be in the joy of wood so everybody followed along wonderfully and the chainsaws started reducing but they were still quite loud and then you have the trucks and the beeping and the 
you know, the crashing, you know, all the different sounds that were going on. So the next day we got up and I was started, I started the, the workshop and I was calling in the spirits. And as soon as I started to invoke them, everything stopped in the camp with the clear cutting. The chainsaws went off, the trucks stopped, turned off, the camp went silent. I was like, whoa, you know, and so I had to do my duties that day. <clears throat> but then when I got back and I went into prayer and I was talking to the spirits, I said, what happened? And they said, you happened. You became your answer in your feelings. Came mm-hmm. the joy that you wanted to experience. You felt the joy before the experience happened and now they're saying that that's how um healings take place in the body people that have got terminal illnesses and things like that where they have these miraculous healings mm-hmm. they decide to feel well before the external event takes place and yes. that's the creation and that, process and, and that was my first experience it with with the with the chainsaws when they gave me that lesson i went Oh, this is how this works. Yeah. And it just shows you how incredibly potent those feelings are. And yet we walk around mostly unaware of what we're feeling or why we're feeling what we're feeling. Mm-hmm. And this is this is something that's a really interesting process. And and I have to say, even lately, first of all, my husband teaches emotions and motivations in a very creative, beautiful, hands-on way at a university. And this uh, course just shifts people's entire life because you're beginning to understand what's motivating them and that you actually can have some kind of transformative mastery over these. But I noticed even lately, and this is a, I'm sure some of our viewers are, have this experience too, especially if I'm out in a public place, I'm with another person, we'll start out chatting and say we're having a a cup of tea together. Um, Everything's fine. We're going along. Subject matter isn't challenging, nothing like that has shifted. And all of a sudden, a feeling blows through and I'm just suddenly uneasy and think, what just happened here? Mm-hmm. What happened? And then I'm, I, my stomach is a little uneasy and I really want to get up and leave the situation. And I think, what just happened? Yeah. What's happening for so, and we can't, there, there's no one size fits all, but in that kind of situation, most of us experience it sometime or another, what's going on there? Let me answer that by giving you a little bit of um, information before I give you the answer, or my answer, what I feel is correct. Our body is responding to things all the time, and it's responding to our thoughts as well as responding to outside stimuli. So when we think or when we decide to feel really positive things, the body response is often expansion, opening, the heart opens, you sit up straighter, you, you, you automatically just start feeling better and more available to life, so to speak. Versus if you are saying really negative things to yourself throughout the day, you will tend to slump, you'll get headachy or achy in your body, you 
just will just not feel well. You'll start getting tired. And you, feel, you're, you feel like you're contracting. You're contracting. You're that's right. contracting. Yeah. That's exactly right. And to me, that's your body saying to your mind, knock it off. This is not good. You are thinking things that are stimulating feelings that are damaging to you. And it's going to make you sick. It's telling you it's going to make you sick. So that is happening all the time. Our body is always responding to our thoughts and to external stimuli through feeling. We're the most finely tuned, beautiful tuning fork, biological tuning fork. Yes, that is perfect. Yes, that's exactly right. So to answer your question, there's all kinds of energies that are in the unseen world. The spirits told me one time, (laughs) I asked him a question. I said, how much do we actually see that's around us? What do we actually see? And I thought they were going to say, eh, 20%. They said less than 1%. Oh, yeah. Less than 1%. And then again, that same time, quantum physics came out with a paper that says that we actually perceive less than 0.1% of our surroundings. So there's a lot going on in the invisible realm. There is. And if you look at it from just a physics point of view, when you look at the atomic structure of the world, it's like looking at literally our solar system. Yes. Sun and the electrons is the amount of material and the rest is all space. Including us, including everything in our world. So how could we be perceiving any more than a tenth or a hundredth or a thousandth of a percent, right? Yes, exactly. And and we and we bank all of that perception, many people on their eyes, which is one of the worst sense (laughs) that a human being has, you know. And you know, like I don't see it. Well, so <laughs> that doesn't mean that it's not there. You know, you have to you have to tune into your other perceptions. So to answer your question or to to give a little bit of feedback from my viewpoint, I think that there's all of these energies that are around us all the time, thought forms. You could have moved, uh, you know, something could have moved past you. You could have sat down in a place where something happened and there was still an imprint there that your body is responding to. But the beautiful thing, Regina, that I think is the most important thing is that you don't ever have to be victimized. You have the ability to change the energies around you because you're the creator. You you are able to recreate. And so regardless of what's there, it's just energy. And energy follows physical law as as well as metaphysical law. And then it's not created or destroyed. It just changes form. That is such a good reminder. I mean, just taking a situation like that where you're in the middle of a conversation, suddenly feeling a little up, uptight, your stomach tightens up, and have in those situations, if we just take time to say, excuse me a moment, go to the restroom maybe, take some nice deep breaths and reset, uh, yeah. reset the field, then we can go back and still continue out what we're doing rather than sit there with the feeling of uneasiness or angst. Right. And or... Just if you wanted to think of your hand as a magic wand and just like, yeah, exactly. It's done. (laughs) You have that type of ability if you own it. Yes. You really own it and you can change situations. There's the spirits will say there's no such thing as a nightmare. There's no such thing as danger. 
I mean, in, in a nightmare, it's all about big power. And what are you going to do with it? Are you going to be afraid of it and run from it? Or are you going to turn and face it and do something with it? And you have, you have that power. So, Absolutely. Well, I mean, this is something that we all experience in one way or another, whether it's from a seen force or an unseen force. Mm-hmm. So let's say um, some of your sage advice, if we're in situations that, are, that have some acrimony there, or if you, you've come into an unhealthy alignment or resonance with another person that you're around all of the time, and you feel uh, this negativity coming towards you. Now, these are really basic things that everybody lives with. But what do you feel are some of the more, before we get into the, some of the darker stuff, casting spells and, you know, curses and so forth, um, how do we deal with that kind of garden variety dissonance um, in terms of our everyday interactions if we're seeing the same person all the time, for example? Because yeah. if you don't have the option to say, you know, I really want to minimize my contact with that person, you're, you're forced to be there for whatever reason, in a work environment or whatnot. Mm-hmm. To me, every action at any level is some sort of a call to love. That a person's behavior, if you really roto-rude down into what's bothering the person, what is creating that behavior, it's usually some sort of inadequacy, a feeling of not feeling good enough, not feeling worthy, not feeling valued. And that can come out in arrogance. It can come out in anger. It can come out in rude behavior, um, all kinds of things that on the outward expression, they're trying to express themselves as being, you know, confident and in charge when really it's, it's coming from a place of arrogance or a place of, uh, woundedness. Woundedness, yes. And so I call it all a call to love. And if I can remind myself of that, this is a call to love. It takes me out of defense and feeling attacked. And what can I actually do for this person? And so if I'm actually nice to them, polite to them, giving to them, often, often, more times than not, they soften on some level. And well, you're giving them the respect that they're being who feels on some level yes. their survival is being threatened, right? Even if it's right. as subtle as connection with others or losing control of a situation or life, you've right. just honored them in the very way that their being is seeking to be honored. It's that's exactly beautiful. right, and everybody's seeking that. Uh, behaviors are almost you know, there's very few people that are living in this absolute true self of allowing everything to happen and you know un, unbothered most people are seeking some sort of of um connection attachment feeling good about themselves you know let me know that you value me that type of thing and it just comes across in some cases in a very um non-productive way you know they 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 produce well, actually, if you look at it from the way that we're talking about it with their feelings, if their feelings are going to be of unworthiness and lack of value, what they then get from people is lack of value. Right. They prove exactly. it They prove it to them because that's how it works. What we broadcast out, we then attract to. And so as I 
as I deal with those types of things, I try to remember that for myself. Like, what are they really doing? Oh, it's a call to love. That's such a beautiful and gracious way to put it. Because the fact is, this is such a complex matrix, the matrix of our feelings and emotions, because so much of it's hidden from view by way of the subconscious mind, which is the repository for everything that's always been, uh, whether it's this incarnation or another incarnation. So someone that feels threatened comes up and lays something rude on us. We first, you know, often become defensive, like, hey, I didn't deserve that. And that's running through all our subconscious survival junk. That's right. All of our filters get activated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I, I don't think I've ever heard of a more gracious way to put it than without sounding new agey and cliche than to say, if that's what we're all seeking is this soothing, this soothing acceptance from each other, the words call to love, this is a call to love, can immediately, those words, you were talking about words earlier, the power of words. Mm -hmm. And you hear, if we just stop for a moment right now and think about a situation like that and hear the words a call to love, there's this expansiveness in our heart, this compassion that comes in. So it's a really, I think, a beautiful mantra that we could maybe tattoo on our wrists <laughs> for when strife comes our way or a little insult comes our way. <laughs> That's nice. That's nice. Yeah. That's beautiful. Now let's talk about when there's something, let's talk about when there's something um, malicious going on because it takes a little more engagement of a different kind. Yeah. If you have someone that's deliberately trying to sabotage you and the reality is it's done unconsciously, but sometimes it's done quite consciously where certain cultures and certain people, including in the new age world in the, in the world of Wicca, witches, white and black and dark witches and all this, where people literally try to cast evil spells on one another. And we do see this just through malintention. So let's talk about the world of spells and um, uh, such and, and the kind of power they do or don't have over us. Sure. We cast a lot of spells in the, in the United States, although our spells are usually sloppy and they're unintended, okay? Different cultures around the world are very intentional in their spells, and their cultures are designed around it. In fact, I worked uh, with a Siberian cult, uh, shaman for qu quite a long time, and she stayed at the house for about 10 days one time. And they actually, the spells are so common that in their drugstores, in the little kiosk things that you can go up to get you know, remedies for stuff. They'll have, if this spell was cast, if this spell was cast, that's how common they are in their country. And of course, you know, various countries around the world. And they are done with very strong intent to harm. That's what a spell is. It's an intent to harm. Again, in our culture, we don't realize that when you scream at someone and put someone down, or you are vicious towards them, in many ways, it's a form of casting a spell. Yes. And so in my work, um, you know, I've done, I've done over 3,500 soul retrievals, which is a shamanic um, healing modality. It's a tool, but that's, it's a lot of sessions. And those sessions, I documented everything and, kind of studied them because I always felt that 
even though I was working for this other person, the spirits were teaching me about life and lifetimes, karma, spells, discarnates, why we incarnate, all these different things. I was being um, taught if I paid attention and really watched what was going on and gleaned out of those sessions what, what, what was happening. And uh, I realized that, you know, spells and curses, um, they have an effect on a person many times, especially like there, there's, especially if it's an intentional curse and if the curse is told to the person, like if I said, I'm cursing you, then the mind gets a hold of it and it brings up fear and it then creates a whole nother reality um, going on inside of you. So there's, there's basically four kinds. There's uh, tended, intended, and um, ones that are um, what we call tended, like some, some, some sorcerer is actually tending the curse. Those can be very, very complicated. But anyway, the point being is, is be, we were talking earlier about um, you were saying that you live in the moment, okay? And in, in a shamanic viewpoint, every moment is happening independently, okay? So there is no, it's always now, all right? There's no such thing as past and there's no such thing as future. Everything is happening simultaneously. And so that's what gives um, a shaman power because they can journey I'm not sure if you're familiar with the word journey, but mm -hmm. to an altered state. Yes. Well, what you're actually doing is you're actually moving into the moment something happened. Okay. Yes. So if you said you, you had a curse, I could move into the moment that that happened. I could actually find it in non-ordinary reality. All right. I would, take a look at it and I'd say, what's the intention? So every moment in time has like a matrix of energy around it, all right? And every moment has all of these emotional components to it. It has an, a, a curse would have an intention. I could actually go into that moment in time and see the intention. And then I could actually take the intention out of that moment and what happens is it unravels. The whole thing unravels. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm giving you a lot of information without a lot of pre-information. So right, without the, uh, the warming up content or the background. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. And what is it, in your opinion, I know, and I have, I have read about these things. I'm not personally experienced with casting spells. I've read about some of them from a more technical nature. But in your opinion, what is it? that the sorcerers, sorcerers uh, or sorceress is drawing their power from that makes what they do so sticky and potent um, on whoever their target is? Well, a good sorcerer is never going to use their own energy. They're always going to use some, something else or someone else's to fuel. It's called the fuel in the curse to fuel it. Because if the sorcerer used their own energy, they become depleted pretty quickly if they're a sure. sorcerer, <laughs> you know, sure. yeah, absolutely. You know, and so they're using something else. So 
depending on the culture, it would be an animal. Uh, you know, the folklore would be your familiar of your of your cat, the familiar. Or in like Africa, they do a lot of animal sacrifices, things like that. You know, that would that you can use bound spirits. There's all kinds of things. I mean, this is getting into really dark stuff here. Right. But the point that I want to make with this, Regina, is that it's all fixable. That's what I'm wondering. You talked about on some some of these cultures, how you can go to the drugstore and there's actually a little bottle, a little potion for curing a certain curse or spell. Now, the mere fact that that bottle exists, uh -huh. regardless of what's in it, can't that, as a placebo, act just to understand or believe that there is a potion for this? Absolutely. It's all fixable. Yeah. And people will say, oh, no, you can't fix this. Yeah, you can. Yes, you can. If it was created, it can be unraveled. Okay. It, and it's just learning how to do it and, um, and then doing it. And, and, I mean, some of them are more complicated than others, but they're all fixable. Wouldn't it be interesting if you could go to your store and have a potion for <laughs> low self-esteem, <laughs> for all these things that threaten us and, and create, um, you know, behavior that we prefer not to engage in uh, or experience from others. It, it it's, can seem so much more simple if it's just a solitary belief, but we're such a complex matrix of feelings and understandings about life. And from when you, when you, you've worked with so many people, let's talk about soul retrieval for a moment. What have you seen as maybe a couple of the most deleterious things that can happen in our lives that are stored in the subconscious that cause us to lose parts of ourselves? Well, losing parts of ourselves does not necessarily have to be in the subconscious. I mean, that would be, um, any kind of trauma that you go right. through. Yeah. But I think to answer your question that this was a fascinating story that I experienced with somebody and it, and it actually happened early on and I'm going to weave in the curses. This is where I learned about curses from the spirits. This is my first, my first one. All right. And I had had no training in this whatsoever in curse unraveling. And this woman uh, had a child that was um, having night terrors. And night terrors are very scary in that you can't wake the person up. And the more you try to shake them awake, the more they groan and they, they, they're terrorized. They're literally terrorized. And so they're yelling, they're screaming, they're groaning. It, and it sounds eerie and scary you know it's just this horrible experience and the mother's child was was having these on a nightly basis and so what happens with night terrors with with um psychologists is that they or psychiatrists excuse me they put you on anti-hallucinogenic drugs which you know has a numbing effect and they're just numbing you out and they don't really work all that well and so she did not want to do this to her child. And so she brought, him, brought her in. And um, when I got into the journey, I was just going to do a soul retrieval and maybe a power animal retrieval to help give her some sort of allies to work with. And I get into this journey and all of a sudden this little African pygmy shows up. 
It's totally stereotypical. It's got a spear in his hand, pom-poms around his wrists, grass skirts, pom-poms around his ankles. And he's screaming at me in this like African gibberish. You know, he's just screaming at me. I was like, whoa, what are you doing? What are you all about? And my spirit said to me that what had happened to the child was that a curse had been cast on them in another lifetime. And so it was showing up as um, night terrors in this lifetime coming up from the subconscious. Interesting. They weren't using those terms right then. They just said, all they said to me at that moment was a curse has been laid on this person in another lifetime and you've got to break it. I was like, how do I do that? (laughs) I don't know how to do that. And they said, we'll do it. You just, you just say these things and we'll do it. I said, okay. So I did. And the next thing I knew, this little African guy dropped his spear, came very deflated and just sort of sulked off. Now, again, this is metaphorical imagery. It's not necessarily the truth of what's going on, but it's, it's a story that the spirits are showing me to help explain the healing that they're doing. So I tell the mom about it and I said, you know, I have no idea if this is going to work. I've never experienced this before. This is what they told me. We broke the curse. Keep me posted. And to this day, and that was probably almost 20 years ago, to this day, this person has never had another night terror. Ah, congratulations. Well, thank you. But here's here's the best part of the story. So I'm in my office and I'm cleaning my stuff with sage. I always clean up everything. And I've been a collector of African art since indigenous art, since I was about 22 years old. And I had this mask that was in the dining room on the wall. And so I'm in my office and I'm cleaning up my stuff. And all of a sudden I hear this bam, boom thing. And I go running out. This mask had literally jumped off the wall and slid under the dining room table. And it's a mask, a black mask with this big grass hair on it. So I looked at it and I said, what do you know about spells? (laughs) (laughs) And so I took him into my office and I journeyed with him. And he was the one that told me I was actually in a very precarious situation that I was actually very unsafe. And he was going to be my ally because I was going to learn how to do these things in the future. And that he wanted to be moved into my office. So then, it's about four o'clock in the afternoon. I think I'll watch Oprah. I turn on the TV, topic, night terrors, and how there's no cure for them. Interesting. But these are the synchronicities where you know that you're listening. Yeah. And I thought that, you know, and so I have every, I, I teach this. There's a lot to night terrors, but pretty good chance that the spirits were informing us these things that we have in our culture that we have no cure for. We have no cure for. We're not looking. We don't look at them medically and we don't look at them mentally. It's a curse. It's an energetic hit on the signature of that person that needs to be dealt with. And this is how you deal with them. 
Is that part of what attracts you to shamanism? I mean, you see, before you had a practice as a, a, psych, a psychotherapist. And so what took you from the classic world of listening to people share their issues with you? And as you told me off camera, people can really overshare to the point where nothing's getting done on anyone's part. Yeah, you're making a paycheck, but this is not productive. Yeah. What made you go from that world into the world of shamanism to begin with, were you seeing tools and potential more powerful, potentially more powerful solutions you couldn't find in the traditional world? Yes, and yes. There's two answers to that question. One, I had a vision, I had an apparition happen to me where somebody appeared to me and asked me to learn the ways. And this story is written up in a couple books. And I mean it's a it's a well-known story of this calling that I had. To shamanism. At the time, I didn't even know what the word meant. Okay, I had never even heard the word before. Um, and so that was a turning point for me that um, I was living in Dallas, Texas at the time in the Bible Belt. I was working in the psych ward, working with people that were multiple personality that had been satanically abused. Yeah. So, my friends, when I had this happen, and my husband, they really thought I had gone off the deep end. Like, you have lost it. Your job is way too stressful. You're listening to these stories that people were satanically abused. You know, they just couldn't relate to it. And um, I did, I had what in shamanism we call a dismemberment, meaning my whole life fell apart. Luckily, I didn't divorce, but it was very hard. I also had three small children at the time, a, a two-year-old and infant twins. Goodness. And so, I, you know, I was really stressed. But in all of that, and I'm making this very short story, um, I had a dream that we were to move and that we were mo to move to the Northwest. And, um, and during this vision that I had, this woman asked me to learn the ways and I was going to say, get out of my living room. I'm not learning anything. What are, you, what are you doing in here? But there was this crow that was cawing outside the window. And instead of hearing caw, 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 I heard trust, trust, trust. So I said yes to this woman. And um, we then sealed the deal by smoking a pipe, which I had no idea what that was. And then I heard a sound and I turned and when I turned back, she was gone. Hmm. So again, my world, just like, what did I make this up? No, I didn't make it up and nobody would believe me. I got kicked out of Sunday school class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I, they really thought that I had, I had gone a little nutso. Um, but they had this dream and we moved. And when I moved to the Portland area, which was a world of metaphysical things or possibilities here, much different from Dallas, um, things started happening. So I had my psychotherapy class, um, practice and I just would get frustrated. I was like, why does it take people 12 years and years to, to get over something that happened to them right. five? Like, what's the deal? I, and I'm a really results-oriented person. If I'm not seeing quick results, then I figure I'm doing something wrong. 
you know, I've, I've got to learn something different. And so as it turned out with this vision that I had, it, I, I started investigating, like, what is this? And um, I went to a channeler, which I didn't even know what channeling was at that time. She channeled angels. And she said, your life is about soul retrieval. That's what, mm -hmm. you, that's what you do. That's what you've done many, 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 many lifetimes. And, um, and so I went and got the training for that. And I realized that the part of the person that was actually needing to talk to me in a session wasn't even there. It had been lost a long time ago. Right. And that when you bring this essence back, if you, if you think of yourself as like a jigsaw puzzle, and when you're born, you're born with all of your pieces of the jigsaw puzzle there, and that when you go through trauma, a piece leaves, a piece leaves, a piece leaves, a piece leaves. Now you have voids in your system. They fill up with energies that aren't good for you. You get all kinds of patterns happening, all this kind of stuff. But anyway, the point being is when you when you bring the piece back that belongs there, the healing goes from a mental process to an energetic process that's felt in the heart. You feel well, you feel whole. You're not trying to mentally think, okay, it's done. I understand what happens. It's now an energetic transformation that takes place in the heart and you feel it. And, and that's where some of the melting away of these base survival issues that come out of the subconscious and catch us off guard and make us feel crummy. I assume that oftentimes melts away with it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's like the things that were driving you, all your suffering. Yes. Just sort of stop. They just sort of stop. And it's like, I, I was so fascinated with the results that I was seeing in people that I eventually turned my entire practice over to um, doing the soul retrieval. And like I said, I did about 3,500. I'm not doing them currently, but I have a staff. I have a staff of people that are all doctoral level um, practitioners that I've trained. And, um, and that's who I go to. <laughs> and so that's who you go. And so now, uh, now we can have another conversation because there's so much more I want to get into. And one of them, you kind of just kind of dropped into the conversation at one point when we were talking. And that has to do with the notion of how not only our past lives are affecting us, but even our future lives as well. In this whole shamanic understanding of a nonlinear um way of not way of living the nature of reality as nonlinear and so I find that fascinating and a larger discussion that would take us quite a bit of time so what I'd like to do if you don't mind is come back and have a second conversation right, about it. past and future lives and how they impact us and how we can uh, consciously impact them including healing of ancestors and so forth so yeah. Meanwhile, mostly, I assume that you're mostly teaching now. Are you mostly teaching to practitioners versus individuals? How do you spend most of your time? Right. Well, we have this school, and uh, it's called Light Song School of 21st Century Shamanism and Energy Medicine. And uh, the school is for a casual interest and or all the way through a doctoral degree. We're the first school in the United States that actually has an accredited program through... Um, 
energy medicine and shamanism. I teach uh, some of those classes, although most of my time is doing things like this with interviews and written a couple books, that type of thing. And then I also just created a, a webinar that I'm very proud of. It's called Recreate Yourself. Because for me, Regina, you know, not everybody is going to be interested in shamanism or energy medicine or have the time or availability to come to Portland to train or anything like that. And so how do I reach those people that I can take the, the energy knowledge of how things work, take all of the shamanic words out of it and say, this is how it works. This is how you do it. And these are the results that you're going to get if you follow these protocols and, and follow this um, manner. And so that's my, what my webinar is. It's seven modules that I take a person through on recreating themselves. How do you actually get better? It, it fall, you know, I have this insatiable desire to help people be well. How can I help you be well? And I can't do it for you. I, you know, I, I use the adage of, do you give them a fish or do you teach them how to be fishermen? You know, I, I'm going to teach you how to be a fisherman. I want to teach you how to take care of yourself because when you take care of yourself, you make a better world. You know, the world will improve if you improve. And if you can get whole and not be living in that angst or suffering, but really move into that joy that the body is saying, this is the truth. Yes. This is the truth. This is who you are. That's why it feels so good. It's because it's the truth. Yes. You know, and if you can get in your truth, you automatically broadcast that out into the world and the world changes. We're all interconnected. Everything's happening in the same moment. Absolutely. And we have a lot of takeaways here, a lot of really intriguing ideas. And I think probably one of the big ones for all of us is when we feel challenged in the face of another is simply a call to love. I love that one. Um, And I look forward to our next conversation and speaking about the nonlinear aspect of our reality and and who we are, who we, who we have been and who we're going to be. Um, So we'll, we'll, how about in three or four months time, we get back together and have that conversation. That'd be lovely. I'd love it. I want to thank you so much for your time today. I'm sure everybody's been fascinated by the conversation. So until next time um, I will Keep, I'll make my notes now so I don't forget what we're supposed to talk about next okay. time. So okay. anyway, thank you so much until I see you again. It was a pleasure. Thank <laughs> you. Yes, you do a beautiful job in your presentation and, and the way that you reach out to people. So thank you. You're most welcome. So until next time, everybody, you can, again, you can find Jan Ingle Smith's work on lightsong.net, and then you can dig into her her workshops, her online course, Recreate Yourself, um, her life story and her books and so forth uh, by visiting lifesong.net. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on reginameredith.com.